Are you a sheep or a goat? Perhaps it's not something you've ever considered before, uh, but Jesus said that all of mankind is divided into sheep and goats. So which camp are you in? And why does it matter? Well, because this is not some kind of personality test, like an Enneagram, you know, like, hey, I got goat, you know, what did you come out as? Now, this is far more serious because it has eternal consequences. Uh, the context for Jesus talking about sheep and goats is a rather sobering passage of scripture in Matthew 25, where he's talking about the coming day of judgment. And on that day, he says, all the nations of the world will be gathered before him and he will separate all the people into two groups, like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats. And the sheep, he says, will inherit God's kingdom and enjoy eternal life, while the goats will go to their eternal punishment. That's Jesus's words, not mine. It's sheep or goats, heaven or hell. There's no third category. All of us, along with all of men and women throughout history, are in one camp or the other, and it will determine our eternal destiny. Now, that's a pretty heavy thing, isn't it? And whatever you believe about heaven and hell, what Jesus is saying there should give a serious pause for thought. Like, how can you tell a sheep from a goat? I mean, some woolly sheep and goats can look very similar. How can I be sure that I'm a sheep? Would it surprise you to know that according to Jesus, how you treat people who are suffering or in need proves whether you are a sheep or a goat? Let's just read that passage from Matthew 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations we gather before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, but when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Wow.
it would seem then from what Jesus said that sheep and goats will be known by their response to people who are suffering and in need. Now I can almost hear people saying, how can that be? Surely those who belong to the Lord, you know, those who are destined for heaven are those who have put their trust in Jesus. It's those who have believed the truth. It's not our good works that determine whether we are sheep or goats. And of course, that's absolutely true. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, doesn't he? He says there, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. We are saved, we are justified, we're made right with God through our faith alone. And even that faith is a gift of God's grace. It's not by our works. You know, we brought nothing to the table. We contributed nothing to our salvation. You know, we, can, we can't boast about anything that we did, only in what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection, right? That when we were dead in our sins, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Hallelujah. However, what Jesus was saying is that if we've been truly saved or blessed by his Father, as he puts it, if we're truly sheep in his fold by the grace of God, then it will be evidenced by our attitudes and our actions towards people in need, because that is the test of true faith. The Apostle John makes the same point in his first letter. Uh, so does James in his letter. In James chapter 2, it says, If our faith in Jesus doesn't lead us to show mercy to people in need in practical ways, it's not true faith, and therefore we must not be saved. Such a faith cannot save us, he says, because the test of true faith, the evidence that we are truly his, will be seen in how we treat people who are suffering. And I would suggest that suffering could be any number of reasons, you know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, and so on. That we are to show them mercy. We're to share their burden. We're to seek to relieve their suffering. That is God's litmus test for how genuine our faith is. It's like in the days gone by when people would kind of, you know, bite on a gold coin to see if it was genuine, to see if it left a mark. That was the test. And the mark of God's sheep is mercy. That's the sign. Are we merciful? Are we full of mercy, uh, full of kindness towards people? Now, before we all go out and try to be merciful to someone, you know, to try and justify ourselves or because we fear the consequences, let me just ask the question, who should we show mercy to? Okay, I'll come back to why we should show mercy, but let's first consider who. In Matthew 25, as well as in the letters of John and James, it seems clear that the people they're talking about are fellow believers. These brothers and sisters of mine, says Jesus, which most commentators agree is referring to believers, right? Those in God's family who are suffering or in need. The point being that if we can't show practical love and care towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, right, towards those who are suffering in our own family, then our faith is dead. If we're truly one of God's children, then we'll show mercy towards our brothers and sisters, whoever they are, because that's what true families do. But as I said in the beginning of this series, showing mercy may start in the house of God, but it shouldn't stay there. Now, we can't ignore the other scriptures like in uh, Luke 6, uh, where Jesus says this. He says, if you love those who love you, well, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back, and then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So, if we only love our own family and those who love us, if we only do good to them, we're no better than an unbeliever, he says. Right? Every family or tribe takes care of their own. But we are called to go beyond that. We are called to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful, which means doing good to our enemies, showing kindness to the ungrateful and the wicked. And we see this principle very clearly in the interaction that Jesus had with a Jewish lawyer in Luke chapter 10. Uh, you can look it up yourself. It starts at verse 25. The lawyer was an expert in Jewish law in what was required to live as one of God's people. And he asked Jesus a question to test him. He was kind of laying a trap. He said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, can I, how can I make sure I'm a sheep? And he was probably hoping Jesus would say something negative about the law. But Jesus affirmed the law. He kind of turned the tables on him and said to the man, how would you summarize the law? And the man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly, said Jesus. So go and do that and you'll live. But hang on. Why didn't Jesus say, receive me as your personal savior and then you'll live. I mean, that's what we might say, right? Well, surely it's because this self-righteous man couldn't see that he needed saving. He thought he was already one of God's sheep. So when Jesus said, do that and you'll live, it was like he was saying, if you truly understood what the law requires of you and the kind of heart that is needed to keep the law perfectly, you would know you are a million miles away. It's like asking a leopard to change his spots or a goat becoming a sheep. And so the appropriate response from the lawyer should have been something like, how can anyone love God in that way? Uh, how can anyone love their neighbor uh, in the way that you're saying? How can anyone stand righteous before God on that day? But he didn't. Instead, we're told he tried to justify himself. He asked Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? No doubt expecting Jesus to say any one of your Jewish brothers and sisters, in which case he could have proudly said, well then, I've kept the law. I'm good. But instead, Jesus told him a parable to show him how far short he was falling, to show him the kind of selfless, sacrificial love that God requires from his people. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is so familiar to many of us, it's easy to miss the point. I'm sure many of you know the story. A Jewish man was ambushed by some robbers who beat him up, stripped him of his possessions and left him for dead. Later on, two fellow Jews came along the road, had every reason to show him mercy, but they passed by on the other side. It was a Samaritan man, an enemy of the Jews, who stopped and had compassion. He took care of him. He bandaged him up and paid for him to stay in an inn until he was better. And Jesus asked the lawyer, which of the three proved to be a neighbor to this poor man? 
Well, the one who showed him mercy, said the lawyer. Well then, you go and do likewise, said Jesus. Now, what was the point Jesus was making there? See, we mustn't make the mistake in thinking that the moral of the story is if we can all be good Samaritans and help people in need, that's what makes a sheep and gets us into heaven. No, that's just moralism. And that's not what this story is about. And anyway, it's to misunderstand the centuries-old hatred that existed between Jews and Samaritans. You know, they were so conflicted religiously, racially, ideologically, and socially, it had created this terrible animosity. And so to imagine a Samaritan helping a Jew is like thinking a leopard could change its spots. It was unthinkable. I'm sure maybe you could think of some modern day equivalents. But what Jesus was doing was provoking the lawyer, who no doubt would have been thinking, no way. Jews and Samaritans, no way. He was meant to reveal the lawyer's heart, to show him he didn't have it in him to love his neighbor, not if his neighbor was an undeserving enemy. And yet, that's the kind of mercy God requires of us, because not all men are my brothers, but every man is my neighbor. I think Jesus's goal was to show the lawyer, that instead of being the righteous man he thought he was, that in fact he was spiritually bankrupt. You see, why did Jesus reverse the roles? Did you ever think about that? Why was it the Jewish man who was the one in need, the one who was dying in the road, and the Samaritan man was the hero of the story? Wouldn't it have made more sense for Jesus to make the Jewish man the hero? Because then this Jewish lawyer could identify with him. He could see himself in that role, you know, walking down the road, seeing a despised Samaritan beaten up, dying there in his blood. And so he takes pity on him and shows him mercy. And then Jesus could have answered his question, who is my neighbor? And he could have said, well, even an enemy like a Samaritan is your neighbor if he's in need. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? because that's not how the story went. Jesus reversed the roles, why? Because otherwise the lawyer would have remained unchanged. He would have remained self-righteous, not realizing he needed a savior. You see, if the, if the lawyer saw himself in the role of the savior as the hero of the story, his heart would never be changed. He would never be able to love people who were different to him and who were opposed to him. He probably would have just written the whole story off. Like, you know, could, that could never happen, right? He would have had no motivation to live it out. And even if he could imagine himself doing such a thing, then it would have just fed his pride and his self-righteousness, right? Uh, see how charitable I am. See how magnanimous I am to show mercy to a poor Samaritan. But you see, Jesus wanted this man to see that he was the one who was in need of mercy. So he reversed the roles. So the lawyer would see himself as the Jew left dying in the road. He was the one in need. And who is it that stops to show him mercy but a hated Samaritan? And of course, if you're dying, you would gladly accept help from anyone who would stop, even a Samaritan. And so at the end of the story, instead of answering the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, Jesus asks him a question which was effectively, who was a neighbor to you? To which the lawyer replied, the one who showed mercy. 
his enemy. And so the final word is, well, then you go and do likewise. Right? Go and give as you would receive. Go and show mercy to others in the way that you would have them show mercy to you. Can you see? So, who are you in the story? Who am I? We'd all like to think that we are good Samaritans, wouldn't we? But I think when rightly understood, what this story is telling us is that like the lawyer, we are the man dying in the road, the one who's been stripped and beaten, the one in need of mercy, every one of us. There is nothing that we could do to save ourselves. We needed a savior, someone to rescue us. And who is that? Who is our good Samaritan? Who is the hero in our story? Jesus. As Paul says in Romans 5, you see it just the right time when we were still powerless, kind of dead in the road, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more then shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? While we were God's enemies, undeserving sinners, God stooped down to rescue us. He sent his son to redeem us. He paid for us with his own blood. And like the Jew and the Samaritan where he reversed the roles, Jesus reversed roles with us. He traded places. He became the one who was stripped and beaten. He was forsaken, abandoned, and left to die on the cross. He suffered and died in our place. He bore our sin so that we might receive his righteousness. He died our death so that we might receive his life, eternal life, so that whoever believes in him would be counted among the sheep in his fold. That is the gospel. It's the gospel of grace and it's good news. In fact, it's the best possible news to anyone who recognizes their need. So if you haven't already, can I urge you to put your trust in Jesus, to put your life in his hands because he is full of grace and mercy towards you and he will be your good shepherd forever. Which brings us back to that question of why. Why should we show mercy to people, whether they're our brothers or our enemies, uh, deserving or undeserving, grateful or ungrateful? Why would we do that? Fear of being counted among the goats? Uh, trying to justify ourselves before God, you know, that will never motivate us to show the kind of mercy that Jesus is looking for. It just leads to dead works, right? We'll only be able to show the kind of love and mercy if we have experienced it ourselves, if our own lives have been changed by the gospel of grace. And if we have been changed, if we have become sheep in his fold, then as I said at the beginning, it will be evidenced by how we treat people, how we see people. Listen to Tim Keller. He says, the person who knows that he has received mercy while an undeserving enemy of God will have a heart of love for even and especially the most ungrateful and difficult persons. 
when the Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless, the refugees, and so on, he knows that he is looking in the mirror. And so as Jesus said, let us go and do likewise. Let's go and show mercy even as we have received mercy. Are you a sheep or a goat? Ultimately, only God knows who are his, but it should be evident by how you treat people. The test of true faith is mercy. Two weeks ago, I shared a specific need about some abused women in another country who had found refuge in a safe house and needed rescuing. And I asked for money to buy them flights home to their families. And our church responded magnificently. Around $17,000 was given, which pays for all 23 women I spoke about and will help others who are in need. That's just such an amazing response. And so thank you everyone so much for your generosity, for showing such mercy. I'll share an amazing story about that next week. But this week, I want to challenge you. Uh, I, you know, I think all of our hearts were moved by the plight of those women because we saw injustice. You know, we wanted to do something about it. Those women deserved better. But what about those we might consider undeserving? Would we be as generous? Would we be as merciful as our Father in heaven, who Jesus said is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? Because if we only show mercy to the deserving, is it really mercy? So who can you think of right now that you might show mercy to? Who you might show the kindness of God to? Who might God lead you to this week who you might consider undeserving, ungrateful or wicked? And will you show them mercy, kindness, sheep or goat? God bless you this week.